So without too much uh, navel-gazing, we're, uh, we're talking about the Sager community. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's always a good time to look and to know who we are when we gather, why we gather, and what we do when we gather. Um, it's more than just, you know, whenever they, they say that, that it's more than the sum of its parts, that's the Sager community. We are more than the sum of our parts. Um, it, it's more than a collection of people. It's more than, than just a, an assembly of people that, that just happen to be in one place. Whenever we come together, the, the sum is, is greater than the whole. And that's really what the Sager community is. It, it's not an organization like anything else. It, it's not like this could be a school or that this could be a, a book club or anything like that, that if we could gather in, in another way, that it wouldn't work. I'm going to turn off the base. I think my new toy is causing issues. So that's um, a big part of, of who we are. And I think if we don't realize who we are, then whenever we, we come together, we have the, the chance of mistaking us for something else. And I, I think that, that that leads to feelings of, of being lost or, or not being able to be connected to what the Lord is actually doing in a place like this. Um, we are not the only sacred community. Vineyard's not the only sacred community. There, there's, we are so blessed to be in this world where there's so many flavors of this. And we talked about that um, last week. But what we want to talk about this week is praying together. That the sacred community is a place where we pray together. This is a D.L. Moody quote. I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher, and he was a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. That's a pretty profound thing. If you really think about it, we put so much emphasis again on the pulpit. We put so much emphasis on preaching, but Jesus never said, here's your, your three-point sermons, and here's how you, you use something from the Old Testament, something from the New Testament. Make sure all of your points start with the same letter because alliteration works well. You know, All of those things were never taught in Scripture, but we get all of these call-outs on how to pray. And I find that pretty funny because also I think praying is also very natural. You know, I, I feel like if we don't teach people how to pray, they're going to find a way. <laughs> and I think that that's one of the wonderful things about being a human is that we kind of have built into us this acknowledgement of the, of the divine, this kind of longing to be a part of something more than what my life can be about, and this acknowledgement that there's something out there that I can connect with something that I hope is out there, something that, that even if I don't know the name of Jesus, I want to call out and to say, where did all this come from? I, I know that there's more to it than, than just what I can see around here. So prayer is one of those things that's so simple and quite complex. It's both natural and supernatural. It's done by people who have been in the kingdom of God for decades and those just starting out and even those outside the kingdom. Prayer is this amazing level ground where we all reach out and, and call to the Lord. There's this, this meme that I, I found um, where it says your first podcast will be awful, your first video will be awful, your first article will be awful, your first art will be awful, your first photo will be awful, your first game will be awful, but your first code that you write will be perfect. Zero bugs and very clean. It will be hello world. For those of us who have done tech, this is, the, this is where you start. I have the next slide. This shows you hello world in 30 different languages. It's a single line and most of them you print hello world. No bugs. There's no way you can get it wrong. Like if it works, it works. You've got hello world, bug free, security free, the perfect code. And, and in a lot of ways, I wanna link the same idea of the simple being perfect to prayer. Like when we start with prayer, we call out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Does it get more perfect than that? When we say, Lord, would you come close? Lord, would you forgive me? These simple prayers, there's almost no way of getting them wrong, right? And then we have people who give these flowery speeches, you know, and then there's, you know, all this concern about what we say, the theology that implies, but this simple approach to prayer is so correct and so holy and so beautiful and so sweet. And I, I think people are, it's, it's like one of those bell curves. You know, when we start off, we just have full confidence and acknowledgement that, that everything's going to be great. Then in this middle period, maybe, of our faith walk, we kind of have an, an awareness of God is holy and, and he's reverent, but yet I'm, I don't want to treat him too casually. And, and oh, the, the theology of the Trinity says this, and can I actually trust on this? And I don't know about these. And it gets more and more complex as we don't know what to do. And then as we've done this for a while, and we realize God is so good and he's so gracious. And the longer that we do these things, that it's as natural to us as breathing. I think that kind of fits the, the life of many of us disciples. Prayer is the most natural thing for man. I think at some point we are all overtaken by the need to speak to God, to see if he's listening, to see if he cares, to see if this might help. But it can be so awkward. And it's something that we have to learn. We have to learn whether we should be respectful or casual, if we should be silent or out loud. Quick note, and we talked about this a little bit in the, in the Sunday school. You know, I, I actually, I love silence. Silence is something that I, I think as a church service, as, as individuals, as, as a community, we need more silence, especially in an age where our notifications can reach us anywhere. You know, our phones can buzz even whenever you don't think that there's anything because there's timers and all these things going back and forth and you get it buzzing on your wrist and you get it buzzing in your pocket and all these things. Silence is so important to our souls. But I think we have fallen victim to the idea that my silent prayers are just as good as my spoken prayers. And we were talking about this when we were going through James, and I, I really believe that when we vocalize our prayers, what I have found myself, when we can kind of give them breath and substance and that they take form and void outside of our, our hearts, they're different. I don't know if I want to say better. <laughs> I don't want to say more powerful, but I'll say that they affect me more. And I think that that might be a common experience. If you're somebody who's been timid about this sort of thing and, and you feel stale about this and you don't know, are my prayers effective? Are they doing this? When's the last time you've prayed out loud? When's the last time you, you maybe got to a place where nobody else can hear you and you just call out to God with an audible voice? And I think many of us forget this practice because we know that God searches our heart. We know that he knows our thoughts. We, we trust that that's going to be sufficient for, for the day at hand. I want to tell you that there's something about the incarnation of your prayers into this world, the, the spoken nature of it, that I think mirrors what God did when he spoke, whenever he breathes life into things. Allow your prayers that breath of life and just see if that doesn't give you renewed passion. Because otherwise, I think what's in my mind or my heart kind of rambles, right? My thoughts sometimes aren't so clear. Sometimes I, I, I have a feeling or an emotion, and I just kind of let that be the thing rather than trying to give it some definitive shape or form or substance. And when you speak, it brings you to a conclusion. You can realize that point where we trail off and we don't know, and then we turn to the Lord in longing and say, Lord, give me words. Lord, help me. And that really helps. So prayer is as simple as speaking our heart, our thoughts, our fears, our hopes to God. And it says complex is finding that place where the natural meets the supernatural, where the present meets the future, and where the world is changed because of the power and authority of God. If we look at some of these scriptures just side by side, I think this is going to show us why this is hard for a lot of people, right? 
Here's a, here's a call out to the Psalms. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And I think we can read that and feel, oh no, my hands are not clean enough. My heart is not pure enough. And, and this, this is distance. We don't know if we're worthy to come close. And, and this is a right representation of God Almighty. And it, it, it strikes this reverent fear in us, and we're not sure about this. But then we read on in Scripture, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The Lord is seeking us out, knocking. Will we acknowledge and open the door? And he wants to come in and have communion with us. And in Luke 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now the bar seems a whole lot lower and a lot more obtainable. Like, I, do, I, do I have to worry about coming closer? Do I have to, to just be present? And I think that this is the joy, and I want to say it that way, the joy of discipleship over time. You know, people often praise these deathbed conversions and like, oh, they, they got along with you know, the, the life, however they want to live it, but they're just going to have this deathbed conversion. The life of a disciple is so much more beautiful. It's so much more lovely when you work through these things. The, the path of holiness may not be a, as alluring as the temptations of this world. It is so much better trod. It, it is so much richer and deeper to have these things well-vetted, to have them understood, to have that, that path laid in your heart where the goodness of God can flow and touch you and things work as they're designed to. So what is prayer? We have to learn how to do it. The way that this reads to me that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, noticed that Jesus had this habit, his ongoing habit of going away to pray, and they knew that they needed something like that. So they, they saw that the Jesus got apart whenever he had the chance, and he did something there, and then he came back better. <laughs> you know, the crowd was really annoying. They, they, were, they were pushing him. Jesus was getting sometimes like a little, little testy with some of the crowds. You know, they're, they're trying to make him king and he's, you know, bashing through these things. And he would go away and he would come back refreshed, restored, renewed. And I think that they watched that. They saw that. They're like, I need some of that. Tell us, Jesus, what are you doing? Tell us how this works because I need to be able to do this better. I want to connect to the Father in that same way. So this is Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. We want to have that same relationship with the Father as you do. So what do we learn? I, I have got this little side-by-side -side list of, of things, and I, I want you to hear how I think that this is what we, we learn through. We, when we pray, we often allow our form to interfere with our intent. We often allow repetition to take the place of uniqueness. We often allow a, a reverence to take away from our intimacy. And now if I flip them, I think they're also true as well. We allow intent to kill off our form, and then we are undisciplined and aimless. We also allow our value of personal uniqueness to take away from our persistence. We allow our casual approach to undermine a reverent fear of God. And now all of a sudden, it's not one thing or the other, it's all of this all at once. It's this idea that, that, that what, are, what are we lacking? How are we doing this? Are we persistent or are we not? Do we throw it up there in, in a hopeful longing one day and then the next day we don't even know what to do? 
Maybe the Book of Common Prayer will help. Maybe we, we don't understand that God needs to be feared and we're just casually just barging in with our list of demands. Well, then we need some reverent fear. Do you see? Like, like all of this is a way of striking this. Jesus had a way of being with the Father and bringing it into this world that shaped and formed us in a way that, that I think makes this abundantly clear. I've got passages to support each of those, but that's a whole different sermon series, and I'm not going to get into that today. It's a whole series in itself. But I think we are, are most confused, Christians, at how this is actually supposed to work. Because I think what we've done in America, in this modern age, is that we f- flip these things. Prayer is kind of a Christianity 101. I went to the doctor last year, and... Uh, I was surprised when he, he did all the tests, the blood work and everything, and he told me, you're fine. And I said, oh, shouldn't you tell me to maybe eat better food and work out more? He's like, yeah, you're, you're okay. I like, I'd appreciate you to tell me <laughs> that I should eat better and, and work out more. And he's like, no, you're, you're really, you're, you're fine. Like, I, I, all your numbers are great. I had to say last year because this year, the doctor said, yeah, you could stand to lose a few pounds. <laughs> so <laughs> it's changed, right? But we have this understanding that, that there's things that we should, you should read the Bible more and you should pray more, right? That no matter how you're doing in life, we kind of feel like these are the things that we know will enrich our faith. That we should pray more, we should do this, we should pray without ceasing. So what's the issue? The issue is that I think we're completely backwards in prayer. Because Christ had communion with the Father, and then he went and did the stuff. That was his habit. And we don't know where to fit our prayer model into this whole thing that he did. Because it doesn't quite map the way that we think to. Um, Often I feel like we engage in communion with the fellowship, and then we retreat and we try to pray in private and secret. I'll pray for you, we say. And then we walk away and we maybe pray for them. But Jesus was doing the exact opposite. He was at the Father, communing with the Father, restoring his soul, then going forth and doing the stuff. He wasn't saying, I'll pray for you later. I'm I'm, I'm gonna see your pain, I'm gonna see your brokenness, I'm gonna see your sickness. I'm gonna pray for you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. and see if you feel any better then, right? That's not how he did it. But this is what we do in the modern church, right? I think that this is what we're teaching, and I think that this is what we mimic. And I think the reason that we do this is very interesting. I think we want to make sure people feel comfortable. We don't want to push things on them. We don't want to take advantage of this moment before them right now. This this idea of of a sacred community praying together kind of feels a bit laborious at times, and maybe we'll just take that work ourselves on the side. I think it has to do with timidity on the part of the believer. I think it has to do with a lack of faith and a misunderstanding that if I pray for someone— And if nothing happens, then I'm going to be embarrassed because that's an evidence that I am not a good Christian. It's evidence that that I have failed. It's evidence that God doesn't love me and my prayers aren't being heard. And this is, I think, the the brokenness of our own self-understanding that we bring into the sacred community. And then nobody's bold enough to do the stuff. So we retreat into our own side where we should be strengthening ourselves. And we try to do the work without the community being around us. That which is meant to be communal, that which is meant to be engaged, has become isolated and personal. And that which is is to be personal and isolated is in this awkward mix now of being in the public space. I think we've reversed this from what Jesus himself did. This is not just the why, but it's the what. What do we pray about? We pray about problems. We pray about people and their problems. 
We have questions and doubts and frustrations. And it's this whole one-way communication of, of kind of like putting God on blast. We just lay it all out there we, and then we move on. But again, Christ had communion <coughs> with the Father. I think that there was, uh, this is, again, Christian preaching on praying 101. It's a two-way communication. We know this, but I feel that we still don't have a habit that most people understand on how this actually is meant to work. Again, we don't have the silence. We don't have the resting. We don't have the waiting because we flipped the when and where we do this. May you go on your home. Go to your prayer closet, as as Jesus told us to. Close the door and, and spend that time with the Father. Then go forth and do and if we confuse these bits, I think that we're not acting like the sacred community. So prayer, in some ways, is, as I said, individual. Matthew 6, this is right before the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Again, all right, now this is that whole, should I do it this way or that way? We've got one teaching, we've got another teaching. It's hard. But Jesus, when he was doing ministry, wasn't praying for himself. In fact, I think he felt some awkwardness praying in public. I think it's scripture. I think Jesus felt awkward sometimes praying in public. Let's look at John 11 with Lazarus. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. This is when Lazarus was already dead and in the tomb. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. He wasn't praying for Lazarus to be healed. That wasn't a prayer. (laughs) His prayer was well, thank you, God, for hearing me. I know you always hear me. Like, it's, it's kind of this thing, like, th- they're listening to us. This normal, com- normally you and I talk in private, Father, but there's other people here right now. <laughs> so I, I want you to know that I'm praying this out loud because they're listening in on our conversation right now. That was Jesus' prayer in public. But then he switched to doing the stuff. It's just Lazarus come forth, right? It wasn't, Lord, if you will. It wasn't, Father, if, if you've got the kindness in your heart and the love, would, would you bring Lazarus forth from the grave right now? It, it was a commanding take on how to do ministry. And it's a compelling difference on how we do things. It, it, it shows, I think, our understanding, our theology, our role in this whole thing, and, and what we think we can and cannot do. You want to have some fun? Read and compare Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Both of those have the Lord's Prayer in them. Um, but the, the, the teaching around that on being personal and corporate and how we approach repetition versus being passionate and persistent, there's this beautiful difference in those two things that I think gives us a well-rounded picture of individual and communal prayer being done in the community. So moving on from this individual prayer to corporate prayer, if we look at the Lord's Prayer, it starts very simply, Our Father. 
very big clue right there that there's a, there's a we that is praying this right now. It's not my father. Perhaps without realizing this very Christian teaching on talking to God implies that we're doing it together. It's our father. It's not meant to be just me doing this on my own, but corporate prayer is meant to be done together. There's something about being together in one place and calling out in one voice and acknowledging our father, that we are in this together and he is Lord overall. Most of the biblical examples expect private, fair, uh, private prayer. In fact, the Our Father lesson is right on the heels of Jesus telling them to go to that private place and pray in secret, secret like I read. If you look at Gethsemane, where, where Jesus was before he was crucified, it's really interesting. He called his disciples to keep watch, not to pray with him, not to join with him in prayer, not to pray for him, but to keep watch. And I think that this is a very interesting insight into praying together, that we're called to be witnesses of the move of God. They got to see the transfiguration. Why? Because they were praying for it? No, they didn't know to pray for it. But because they were keeping watch. Because when the Lord shows up, whenever the Father is on the move, when the Holy Spirit is active, things might happen. And how wonderful for the community that we can have witnesses to bear witness to what the Lord has done whenever we've come together in prayer. One of the most Christian-y things we do, which I think highlights our, our subtle theology of this, is, is the small groups. I've got a, a, a go-to picture of small groups. I don't know what the guy in blue did, but he looks very upset, right? And this might have been right on the heels of some repentance. But we do this. We gather in small groups, and then we say, what can we pray for, for you about, right? And we take a list, and then we say, all right, now let's pray. And then we repeat those same lists, but to God, as if he wasn't listening to us in, to begin with, right? So it's like, all right, well now we're talking, okay, now we're going to invite God, and, and now let's, let, let's do that whole thing again. This really bothered me, uh, particularly early on in faith, and by the way, we've all done this, so if you're cringing, I'm cringing, yes. But I, I've done this in, in, in small group in, in college where I was like, let, let's change this paradigm. I wasn't really in the vineyard or anything yet, but I still had kind of this come Holy Spirit you know, ethos about me. So the idea was like, let's invite the Holy Spirit and share our prayer request as if he was listening right now. And we can come into agreement. We can give prophetic words. We can give encouragements as we do that. Y'all, it was a disaster. So <laughs> it was awkward. Nobody knew what to do. We're looking up. We're like, amen. Yes. Uh, it was it was not good. <laughs> I, I think theologically this works well, but trying to change pace on this it's hard for us, right? Because we've got this thing that we've learned that's, that's Christendom. We've got this, this culture thing that we have, which I think in some ways takes away from this idea of communing with the Father and doing this corporately. Corporate prayer is hard, especially when we try to reckon with the fact that is the Holy Spirit here? Does he already know this? Does he not? What, is, what do I do? Do I just repeat the same thing? Well, Lord, you heard him. We've all prayed that too. You, you know what's on their heart. And then we don't have things we don't want to pray because it's too private. So we say an unspoken, right? It's another Christian culture thing. And, and it's like, it's too private. We don't want to say, it. just pray for me in, in a general way. And, and we can do these things. And there's kindness and there's goodness and there's mercy. And I'm, I don't want you to feel shame about this. But I want us to understand that there's a depth to prayer. That the church at large is not really doing well. Okay? And, and that, that really should be to our shame. I, I think because we can grow into this. I think the understanding of what we, particularly in the vineyard, with our awareness of the Holy Spirit, with our, our hope and desire that he's with us and present, I think we could take the lead on some of this and that we can have a prayer style, that we could have church services 
that model how to pray corporately in a way that's in line and in step with the hope of the Holy Spirit. This is something that I think Christianity in America has kind of slipped up on, and, and we can reimagine and hope and dream to do it like Christ did in a way that brings hope and health and community alive in a way that it hasn't. James 5, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord, Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Clearly, while there is personal prayer, we're called to pray for each other in context. There's, there's no getting around this in Scripture. I, I think we, we don't understand the types of prayer, so we don't even know what communion with prayer is versus, you know, a need of, of healing for prayer, like deliverance. And this is the point I want to make to you, that you can tell that prayer is not just simply talking to God at this point. Prayer is clearly engaging in the work of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is going into ministry time, as we call it, in a very powerful way. That this world is being changed and shaped because of our prayers, because of our connection with the Father, because we're asking for things, and He's a good Father, and He gives those things. But prayer is kind of that, that medium where that exchange is happening, where, where there's a, a better discernment, where there's gifts being given, where there's forgiveness being offered, where all of these things are taking shape in a way that were not present, that were not visible before it happened. I think the most powerful example of this is in the Old Testament. This is when Solomon finished the house of the Lord, and, and this is the most public place where Jews would go to pray, was the house of the Lord. If you remember, my house would be called a house of prayer. This is so vital to us. In fact, whenever I was first imagining that the Lord was going to call me to, to be a pastor, that the idea of the church was really that it would be a house of prayer. If we are not a church that prays, we are lost. I mean, that, like, legit, I don't want to be a part of any church that, that does not pray. Our pre-service prayer time, which we had, you know, the announcements of this invitation to you, this is potentially the most important thing that we do as a church. <laughs> and I, I, that we do a lot of things that are wonderful and important, but that might be the most important thing that we do. And especially as we want to sharpen our, our discernment, especially as we want to, to see the prophetic come, especially as we value what comes in that time, as it shapes this, as it shapes our hearts. Being who we are, a people of the presence of God, we have to spend time in prayer. So when Solomon finished the house of the Lord, Second Chronicles 7, and the king's house, and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord, and his own house, he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I've heard thy prayer, that I've chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven and there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be opened, my eye, mine ears attend unto the prayer that's made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever. Mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. This is the power of corporate prayer. The people gathered into the house of the Lord. We can heal our land from what happens here. We can we experience forgiveness 
deliverance. Whatever is going on in, in the greater community, we don't have to be afraid. This is the place where we intercede, where we have intercession, where we come together with one voice and call out and see the world physically changed. I believe in that. That was the plan. That was the purpose. He said, this is it. But the people that are called by my name, come to this place. I'm going to be listening. I'm going to be watching. I want to spend time with you there. This is it. Come here and let your hearts be made bare to me. From here, we can do anything. We can change the world. We can heal them. We can forgive them. We can see things as they're meant to be. Again, in Matthew 18, 19 through 20. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather my name, there am I with them. The prayer of a small church. <laughs> we only need two or three, this, so nobody show up in small group time. That's all right, where two or three are gathered, right? We've, we've said that one too. Um, I love this sort of stuff because I think if we are not paying attention to the greater context of this, we're missing what's actually being said here. Where two or three gather my name, we, we, we cherry pick, we pull this one out, but right before this, immediately before this, in verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take two, one or two or others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The use of two or three is intentional here because we're called to witness. Where two or three are gathered is because, again, I, I said this earlier, but I want to emphasize it again. When we are gathered together, we are called to be <coughs> witnesses for each other. It's so important. Whenever we have weddings, whenever we have baptisms, I try to make out a, a point to this, right? That those of us who gather for these things, we're witnesses to them. To remind people later on that this happened, that this matters, that these are the vows that were spoken. These were the promises that were made. This is the covenant that was offered that this person willingly and knowingly walked into. So whenever our, our children who have been baptized stumble, guess what? Were you at their baptism? Remind them. Remind them of the Lord's great love. Remind them of his forgiveness and remind them of the call and the responsibility of being a person who walks us out in faith. We're witnesses to these things. Whenever we call out to heaven and the Lord shows up and you know what happens over time? We forget, right? Remind each other of the goodness of God. Remind him of the words spoken. Remind him that you told me this years ago that the Lord spoke to you and this is what you heard. Let me call that back to you. Let me speak that to you again. Where two or three are gathered, we have witnesses. It's not meant to be just my own private spirituality that I do on my own. Our, our, our minds are, are, are forgetful and imaginative and, and, and that private spirituality will dry up and it'll become a weird thing. <laughs> and it's already, y'all, we're talking about a guy who came back from the dead. It's already weird. And we will get even weirder left to our own but witnesses together watching the goodness of God come and touch and change and heal a community brings amazing health, responsibility, discernment, things that the church desperately needs as we work this out in fear and trembling. So much of the power of corporate prayer is about providing agreement and witness. Um, I, I shared about office space last time and uh, I've heard more office space comments in the past week than what I've heard in, in years. But I, I've, I've got this, which actually combines two wonderful things. Thank you, Stacy. 
So this is where the ring is being given and the ring bearer in, in, in Lord of the Rings is about to make his journey and he thinks he's going to do it alone. And, and they step up and he says, you have my sword and my bow and I believe you have my stapler. <laughs> if you don't get the reference, I, I don't even know. Um, but the fact of showing up in prayer together as a witness is this idea of saying, I've got your back. I'm, I'm going to go with you. You've got my bow. You've got my axe. You've, you've got my words. You've got my testimony. I'm going to do this with you. So much of being in community is showing up, being together. The more of us in agreement, the more ears to hear, the more diverse and kingdom-like that the church becomes. It's vital that we have each other whenever we are, are engaged in corporate prayer. We are more powerful together. We're more Christ-like together. There are many things I cannot do that I need somebody alongside me to do. There are many things that I can but should not do <laughs> that I need somebody alongside me to do. If we have a word in tongues, Scripture says we need a word of interpretation. And if we don't get that word of interpretation, what good is the tongue, right? The, the point is, in corporate setting, it, it, it's nonsense until we have the interpretation. Then it becomes the evidence of the Holy Spirit speaking and moving among us. Then it becomes healthy. Why does the Lord do it that way? Again, like I told you all, it's weird enough as it is, right? <laughs> but we do this together to bear witness, to show the evidence of the Holy Spirit among us. I may stumble and I fall, but I need you to help me up. I said that we're not these passive observers, but we are witnesses. What does it mean to bear witness? Hold us accountable, share the memory. If you want to come in and leave a church meeting with no responsibility, with no follow-up, no follow-through, no impact on your life, why bother? The whole point of coming together is that we do this together and we have a responsibility to live it out. Or else, really, what's the point? You come in, you hear something, you may agree with it, you may not, you may take it, you may leave it. The music may agree with you, it may not, but then you're just going to move on with your life with no, no change, no impact. The point of community, the point of impact, the point of witness is to remind us, to remember us. God spoke to you, do you remember? God called you, my friend. You said yes. Are you responding? Are you moving? Are you like Jonah, running the other way? So then finally, does prayer change things? This is, I think, the big question non-believers and even believers alike ask. Does prayer actually change things? And, and theologians like to say, maybe prayer doesn't change things, but prayer changes you. Have you heard that, right? So, so like maybe, maybe we're the ones who change and, and all this sort of stuff. Well, I, I like this one. Um, Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Does prayer change things? Jesus is telling us, yes, the Lord loves you. He's a friend of you. But, you know, he not necessarily is going to do this unless we're asking, unless we're engaging. I believe this is a testimony about what God is like when his people call out. I mean, you can look at, at the slavery in, in Egypt. The, the, the cries were reaching his ears. They, that's why he moved. Did the Lord want his people in slavery? Absolutely not. 
oh my goodness, we could write a theological paper on this. In fact, many people have. We're not going to get into that today. But I want to segue from this whole talk of, of, of prayer, individual, corporate, what it is to ministry time, specifically in the context of what we do. Um, prayer is not just ministry time. There, there's a Venn diagram of these things. There's a large overlap of them. But when we're together corporately, this makes a lot of sense. So in a religious service, you might come and observe in a participatory service, you might come and, and try to do your part. Um, with a professional Christian, you, you leave that work to them. Our expectations matter. And because of time, I'm going to have to go through this very quickly. But I want to think about this way. Our understanding is that when we pray together, is that we have a role to play beyond being passive observers of the story. When we come together to do this stuff, we have a responsibility one to another. I said it implied it last week, but I'm going to say it explicitly now. Those we disagree with, we have a responsibility to. We don't just ignore them or, or throw them out or storm away ourselves. We have an obligation one to another. Um, Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. So there's a responsibility, and then there's engagement. Add this to the list of things that you can't get online, okay? You can't anoint somebody with oil online, right? You can't have the laying on of hands online. You can get great teachings, but there's something about the engagement of ministry that is intentional and purposeful that, that we have to do together, all right? Ministry is always inconvenient because time runs out, <laughs> because it costs you emotion, because you don't want to, because of all the reasons that it's engagement. Ministry is always inconvenient, so whenever we think that ministry is just going to happen naturally, I just don't think it's ever going to happen naturally. Ministry is a choice that we have to engage in because of our responsibility, because of our engagement one with each other. So I think when we gather, it's a healthy understanding that we should each come with the expectation of either giving or getting prayer or ministry or sometimes both. That's, that's the understanding I have. When we come together, expect to give or get ministry. All right, real quick, we've covered this before. The five-step prayer model. We pray with our eyes open in the vineyard. That's something that we say. All right. It works very simply. You ask them, and, and we can, you can read these things. I'm not going to be able to, to say them all because of time. The interview process. It makes sense. You start asking somebody, what can I pray for you about? All right. The next step is pretty simple. The diagnosis. What's going on? How did this happen? How did we get to here? There could be natural causes. There could be supernatural causes. There could be things that are psychologically logical. There could be things that are, are just, we don't know why, and so we're going to ask more questions. That's the interview process. That's the diagnosis. Step three is prayer selection. This is beautiful and profound. And I love that the Vineyard has taught on this and included this all along. We pray differently, and you do it, and you may not even know that you do it. Sometimes you just give people a blessing. You bless your food. Sometimes you have a need, you make requests, right? Sometimes you realize that something's wrong and you actually curse it. Lord, this is not right. Father, let your justice come, right? We pray differently, whether it's deliverance, whether it's blessing, all these things, and we may not even be aware, but this calls our attention to realizing I'm going to choose a type of prayer depending on what this person has said. Then step four, prayer engagement. How are you doing? This is where we keep our eyes open. Very important. If the Holy Spirit's moving, well, how do we know? Often we use our eyes. It's not more spiritual to have your eyes closed. 
You know, that th this is a weird thing that we've had to like kind of unlearn, I think, as well. There's, there's reverence, there's distractions, there's a time to close our eyes. But when we're doing ministry, it's for that person, right? And if, and if, if, if I'm smacking around or if I'm doing something and, and it's distracting, like we need to know what's going on in the room. So we pray with our eyes open to even understand and see what the Lord is doing in our midst. And then finally, step five, post-prayer direction. What do you do? Stop sinning is one of the things Jesus said. That's, that's biblical, that's safe, that's good, right? Read your Bible. This is like what I told you in the beginning, the doctor's <laughs> advice, right? You should read the Bible more and pray more, right? That's always, that's always good. But sometimes there's things much more involved. If they're praying for healing, go get that checked out by a doctor. Maybe it'd be good to talk to a counselor or a therapist. You know, maybe, maybe there's some psychological help that they can get you for this. Those things are not anti-biblical, and that's a part of this whole process. All right. So now we're going to practice this stuff. Before we practice this, Leah did this already. <laughs> she shared with us a prayer that was pre-written. So what I just had here, when she did this, I, I was smirking at this because I was doing this as well. <laughs> Corporate prayer, I think it's hard to jump into this prayer model, right? If, especially if we're not used to it. It can be weird to us. It can be awkward and hard. But what I want us to do, first of all, is, is to have a pre-written corporate prayer that we do together. You have a role to play in this, all right? We've done uh, readings where I read, and sometimes the Holy Spirit says something to you that I don't say out loud. I love when I preach a sermon, and somebody says, that was the most fantastic thing. This point you made was great, and I realize I never said that out loud at all. You heard something that you spoke out loud, and it's great. But we're going to do this now. I'm going to have a prayer, and we've got slides for this. If you could pull up the first slide. It has silence. That's like take a, a, a beat after each one, okay? And then your part is to say, hear our prayer, okay? So simple enough, intro enough, y'all got that? So I'll be reading the part that, that's not in, a, in italicized and silence. None of us, we won't say the word silence out loud. You don't have to do this in a more liturgical church. I figure since we're novices at this, I'll clarify that point, okay? Don't use the word silence. So again, let this be an actual prayer. I think that the, the danger of this when it becomes ritual is that you don't make, you don't let this be a prayer, you let this be a reading. Can you understand what I'm saying? Allow this to be a prayer. Allow these, this to articulate something in your soul. Allow it to, to give shape and form to something in your life. Does that help? All right. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Grant, Almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the ways of justice and peace that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy, give us all a reverence for the earth as your creation that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy, bless all those whose lives are closely linked with ours. Grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he loves us. 
Lord, in your mercy. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy. We commend to your mercy all who have died, that your will for them may be fulfilled. We pray that we may share with all of your saints in your eternal kingdom. Lord, in your mercy. Now if we're going to have some of the leadership come forward. And what we're going to do now is we're going to offer the five-step prayer model. All right. This is, again, a time of engagement. This is a time where if there's something that the Holy Spirit is stirring in you, if there's something that, that even came to your mind during this, that you need some help, that you want some guidance, that you want to intersect the, your life as it's going with the activity of the Holy Spirit, this is an, a service offered to you. Like I said, come to either give or to get prayer. And so if you've got something that the Holy Spirit is highly, if there's some longing, if there's some lack, if there's some con- question or some confusion, Offering prayer to you is compassion because that's how we together change and shape this world. And I believe that if people who are called by his name gather and call out, repent, that the Lord will heal our our land. And our land needs healing. (laughs) We need healing from greed and injustice. We need healing from our own sins and our, 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 our our lust. We need healing from the, the depravity, the new ways that we've invented of doing evil through the internet, all the technology things that we've seen. We need healing from the war that's raging right now, Ukraine and Russia. We need healing in our land. And I do believe it can start here and now in this room where his people call out in one voice.